Hi, this is Suparna Goswami, Principal Correspondent with Information Security Media Group. I have the pleasure of speaking with Brad Keller, Chief Strategy Officer and VP at the Santa FE Group. We will be talking about how to make vendor risk management program more robust. Welcome, Brad, to the ISNG discussion. Glad to be here. Looking forward to our conversation. Thank you. So, Brad, third-party risks are growing with increased dependence on vendors. Most organizations have a vendor management program in place. Despite having these programs in place, something's really missing. So how do you think the programs can be made more robust? Well, I think one of the most important concepts is you have to build a strong foundation. What I find oftentimes happens is there's a, a mandate that's come down either from the board of directors or from senior management that says, we need to start assessing vendors. And what companies do is they launch in and they start assessing their vendors. But they do that without thinking about, gee, what are the what are the foundational issues I need to have to do this right? Who are the stakeholders that need to be involved? There's an entire foundations of policies and procedures and standards and guidelines that really have to be developed. Or else when you're assessing a vendor, you don't really know what requirements you should be assessing them against. So it's really building that, that strong foundation first that's so critical. And that starts not just with program governance and policies procedures, but also what do your contracts have to say? Well, oftentimes we forget that the contract itself defines your not only your relationship with the vendor, but what you are compelling that vendor to do. What are the requirements that your vendor needs to, to meet when you're looking at their program so that you know how to evaluate them, assess them for whether or not they're they're in compliance and they're properly protecting your data, your customers' data, as well as your systems and processes because they've got access into your environment. So it really all starts with, with building a strong foundation. The other piece of it is, is sort of follow the vendor life cycle. There's a, there's a whole life cycle that happens. And while it's difficult to do that for existing legacy vendors. It's a little bit easier with new vendors and start with, gee, if I, if I outsource this kind of product or service, what are the risks involved in that? You know, what, what do I have to manage too? It's a little bit more than just how would I do it myself because now you've got to oversee how someone else does it. So it's really following that vendor's life cycle that starts with what risks am I taking on? What am I exposing my company to? And then what kind of controls do I have to put in place? And it goes all the way through to what happens if I have to replace this vendor? Unfortunately, that happens with some regularity. Vendors will decide to no longer provide the services or perhaps they can't keep up with the technology or they just they fail to perform. So you need to be cognizant when you outsource a particular kind of a product or service of what's it look like if I have to replace this vendor? What is that process? And that ranges everything from what happens during the transition period and when I'm moving from one vendor to the other. And probably most importantly, what happens to my intellectual property, my data, my systems access when I terminate this contract. Normally, we've got provisions and contracts that talk about termination, but we don't say a lot about of the details of it. And really now it's become more and more important to include what happens to my intellectual property. And not only what happens to it, should it be destroyed, should it be returned, but you have to be able to validate that. We're having more and more instances where a company's data has been compromised at a vendor who they terminated some period of time ago. Unfortunately, they didn't validate whether or not the vendor had in fact deleted all of their customer data. And it's now been involved in a breach with a vendor that hasn't worked for you for some period of time. I expect the security team to understand these things. But what can one do about the business units? How to make them understand? You really have to educate your business unit leaders. A lot of times, particularly we're used to in the information security side of the house, you know, we own those domains and we understand the risk and the security controls. And we're perfectly comfortable having 
those conversations with our counterparts and our vendors so they can understand that importance. But in most cases, the relationship with that vendor is really owned by the business unit. And they may not always fully understand why it's important that we have these types of controls in place at our vendors. So it's really important to have business unit leaders engaged, updated, make sure they know at the appropriate level why it's important that vendors have controls in place, what you're doing with them, and certainly during the process of an assessment, the business unit leaders or the business unit counterparts, whoever your colleagues are who manage that relationship in the business unit, are informed of what you're doing. Uh, They may be able to actually help you with the vendor of getting your assessment due diligence in, and as well as make sure they understand that if there's vendor remediation, if you find that the vendor needs to take action to put controls in place. It's always a good idea to have that conversation with the business unit leaders first. You know, it's not uncommon to go back to a vendor and suggest that there's controls they have to put in place. They're not comfortable with that. So the first thing they do is they get on the call on the phone and they call the head of the business unit and complain that you're asking them to do things that are completely unnecessary. The person in your business unit isn't prepared for this, doesn't understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. You've actually put them in a very uncomfortable position. You know, so make sure that the business unit leaders can be your allies in this and they understand what you're doing. So Brad, while an organization might do a great job, as you said, in having a good vendor management program in place, the fact is vendors too subcontract a lot of work. So how tough can it get to keep an account of fourth and fifth party risks? What is the best way to deal with risks of fourth and fifth parties? Yeah, this is this is a, a big and growing par- problem. As you mentioned, more and more vendors are outsourcing, they're subcontracting. This makes sense because the vendors are basically making the same decisions that your companies make. They've decided that there are certain things that it makes more sense for them to outsource, whether for cost or efficiency or not wanting to build the technology to support it. So you've got your vendors every day potentially making a decision to outsource something that they do for you. I kind of call this the spiderweb problem because as you outsource, your vendors are going to subcontract and potentially their vendors are going to subcontract. So you have the potential for this this almost spiderweb display of where all of your companies customer data is going. You know, we, we call it fourth party risk, fifth party risk. Sometimes I call it nth party risk because we just don't always know when it ends. And the first place to start with that is you've got to address this in your contracts. You have to say something about vendor subcontracting in your contracts. Again, back to the concept of you've got to have foundation. So you have to talk about this in your contracts. There's a couple of different ways that it can be handled in the contracts. One of the ways that, that I know some people try to address it with is they say, you can't, you can't subcontract out anything or you can't do it without my approval and permission. The problem with those contracts is, terms is, it's probably going to happen anyway. For no other reason than the people in the company who are making decisions about outsourcing a segment of what their company does probably are unaware of those provisions in those contracts. And frankly, the business need is going to trump those provisions in those contracts. So it, it may very well happen anyway. In addition, you don't really want to get in the business of dictating to your vendors, and they don't really want it, how they do their business and who they can do it with. It's really up to them to decide. In as much as you wouldn't want your customers telling you whether or not you could outsource a certain part of your business. So really what's better in the contracts is to have provisions that, and it's your first line of defense, make sure that your vendors have a robust third-party risk management program. Make sure that before they outsource 
anything to a subcontractor that they've assessed that company and done that before they allow that subcontractor to have any access to your data, your information, or certainly access through them to your systems. Get those provisions in place is really sort of your best way to manage it. That also allows you to do things like have vendors, what we're seeing now from a best practices standpoint, is companies are, are requiring their vendors to provide an annual list of any subcontractors they have that they deem to be critical to their providing goods and services. If you get that list and you get that annually from your, your vendors, you're also able to say, okay, as part of your assessment process, did you assess the subcontractor before they came on board and got access to my data? And you can spot check that. You can sample that and say, I want to see what your assessment results are. I want to see if you if you found areas where they were uh, deficient in security. Now, again, that goes into your contract that says, these are things you have to provide me with, and, and I'm going to act on them. And make sure that the, you know, the vendors know that. But the other thing that's happening, and it's very interesting because for years it was an option in theory, and we hadn't seen it done much in practice, but if you've got a vendor that's a very critical vendor, you can't replace them. And the simple truth is that happens, and they've outsourced something to a subcontractor, and you're not comfortable with how they've assessed that that subcontractor. You don't know if that, that sub has got good security hygiene. We are now seeing companies decide to contract directly with that subcontractor for that subcontractor to provide that service to that vendor. Again, that was in theory for a while, and I actually this year have come across um, a handful of companies that have actually made that decision. They've gone in so that they can assess that subcontractor, they can make sure their data is safe and protected, and they contract with that uh, with that subcontractor to provide the services to that vendor. The upside to that is is that it's, it's actually got the potential to kind of balance out your cost because certainly if you're paying the subcontractor to do this, then there should be an adjustment in what you're paying the vendor to provide those services. So those are some of the things that we can we can do to deal with that. The other thing that's very helpful is we're seeing more and more services around what we call continuous monitoring. There's a lot of service providers that can go out and, and take an outside-in look at companies without having to you know, actively engage them. They can get an idea of their security hygiene levels based on that outside look, based on those scans. So that's another thing that we're seeing is companies using continuous monitoring services to take a look at critical subcontractors so they've at least got some idea uh, of that level of security hygiene and can engage the vendor with their concerns about that. So okay. those are well, those are some of the ways that we can address those issues. Okay, great. So Brent, as a CISO or a CRO of my firm, how can I form a team handling vendor risk management? What are the various roles and responsibilities that should be there? So if a CISO is listening, what would be your suggestion to them? How do they start forming this team? You know, this, right now we have a really challenging issue where there's there's sort of a lack of skilled resources in this area. And we actually have an initiative right now that we've going on called our Talent Management Initiative where we've been investigating this very issue. And what we're, we're looking at, and I think what a CISO can do is say very much what, there's not that many people who have meaningful substantive experience in third-party risk management. So what are the skill sets? What kinds of backgrounds? If I'm going to bring somebody in from somewhere else in my organization, that happens quite often. You take talented, proven, skilled people in your company and you move them into a third-party risk management role. So it's helpful to look at the backgrounds and say, well, what skill sets do I need? Well, let's look for people who've been involved in other operational risk areas, perhaps folks out of audit, compliance, 
Um, most importantly these days is privacy, particularly as we're seeing the privacy regulations, uh, particularly on an international level, driving a lot of what we have to do with our vendors. I mean, GDPR and what GDPR requires we do with data processors is the most visible example of that. So look for people who've got a background with the skill sets that will help them be good third-party risk managers. You know, do they, are they used to assessing people? Are they are used to looking at whether or not a company is operating to contractual requirements? All those things are helpful. Sure, Brad. Thanks a lot for sharing your views on this important issue of how to design a proper vendor risk management program. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. You were listening to Brad Keller for ISM Genesia. This is Suprana Goswami. Thank you for listening.